0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Oh, Jack, Jack O'Hara. Boy, asking me some interesting questions, my man.
1: It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radnor. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara, absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jackie, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the
0: show and uh, doing your thing. I mean, you've got some pr- pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills.
1: Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh dude, she's probably gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick, look. Oh, whoa whoa, 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 whoa! What?
0: There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh,
1: TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today.
0: everybody, welcome back to the Osho Podcast, episode 369, brought to you by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, opening July 9th. Our guest today is Mr. Tom Cronin. Thanks so much for uh, setting up the time to do this, man. I know you're out in Sydney, I'm in Phoenix. We were talking briefly just before I hit record that you're literally in the future, you know, being a whole day ahead of me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful Friday morning here. We're in a crisp winter. And uh, it's about to get very cold from what I believe after today. But today's nice and sunny and clear sky. So you're yeah, very blessed to be down here in Sydney. What's the weather? Uh, I mean, we're in centigrade, uh, Celsius here, centigrade. Uh, we're in Celsius here, you guys in Fahrenheit. So we're around, I think today's like 21, 22 degrees, which is quite warm for winter. So wow. I'm not sure. I think it's sort of probably up around maybe 80s for you guys. I'm not sure. I'll have to check.
0: Yeah, you want to trade? It was uh, 119 today.
1: <laughs> Holy moly, that's really hot.
0: Yeah. Wow. I I thought about doing this interview outside for a brief second, and then my laptop told me that I was overheating, so I had
1: to come inside. Oh, wow. That is really (laughs) hot. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) And is that standard for that time of year then? So June through August, I believe,
0: 119, 125, in that range for three months straight. So talk about the dog days of summer. Like, it's literally just hell on earth for three months and is
1: that dry heat or, or or humid heat
0: they say it's dry heat but you know it's still freaking hot you know there's no humidity which i'm grateful for but it, it's hot it, it's 125 yeah wow
1: amazing i love that heat <laughs>
0: really well i'm very excited to talk to you again today i, I kind of wanted to give you the floor for a second just to give you know a brief overview of what you've done in your career you know the success stories the things that you've learned from your experiences that kind of have shaped and molded into what you do now, trying to inspire others, you know, when it it comes to, you know, finding their purpose, meditation, kind of finding inner peace uh, with themselves through, you know, the unstable times in everybody's lives.
1: Yeah, look, you know, a little bit of backstory. I was a broker in finance, you know, I was on a big trading room floor, very much like Wolf of Wall Street. And, um, you know, for a long time I felt really lost. You know, there was lots of money and don't get me wrong, it's a, a, you know, can be a great career path because you make a lot of money and it was it was a very sustainable and substantial job for me for a long time. But I just felt like I was really missing something with the direction of my life and what I was doing with my life. You know, it was really just about making money. That was the primary focus for that job. Um, And then eventually uh, I, I, because of the stress that I was experiencing, I I learned to meditate. Meditation played a huge role in changing my life. And I uh, really felt very passionate about bringing it out to the world. So that's when I did my teacher training and I, decided to leave finance and become a meditation teacher, a speaker, a retreat host and and in the end I also morphed into making a film and writing a book called The Portal which is really looking at The Portal being that transitional point through meditation to a new way of seeing the world, a new level of awareness about spirit, about soul. So Um, That's really what motivated me was to realize when I discovered meditation that there was this big part of my existence that I've been ignoring for a long time. And so I really wanted to bring this technique primarily to the world so that they could access that part of themselves that's already in them, that they just didn't, might not necessarily have been aware or know how to get to it or how to experience it.
0: Wow. So I did a little bit of research on you. You grew up in a big household, one of seven.
1: If I'm correct. That's right. Yeah, big Catholic family. Wow. You know, we went to went to church every Sunday, and I had a very strong sense of a presence of an intelligence, a force. Uh, you know, obviously, many will call it God. And I prayed a lot as a kid. I, I was deeply connected to to Jesus and to God. and I, I think that was right, like the early sort of days of my sort of spiritual development of just more and more I would pray and, and for silly things like winning raffles or, you know, all sorts of things. And mum used to always say I had such an incredible sense of faith yeah. because uh, my prayers just kept coming, were getting heard and there was responses and wow. it just kept reestablishing establishing time and time again that there was some type of intelligence whether it was me or god or whatever that was manifesting things in my life and um yeah that was a really strong part of my childhood
0: so what did you do as a kid again big family uh growing up in you know australia like what did you do what kind of formed you and inspired you to do what you want to do later on in life you know that first big breakthrough becoming a broker you know at a young age and kind of getting into your career path and finding your identity
1: Yeah, you know, I grew up on a country farm, it was a beautiful, still to this day, mum and dad live in this house, it's like 200 years old, one of the first cottages in the local area, beautiful rolling hills and pastures and paddocks and cows and it was a really wholesome and healthy place for me to grow up as a child, I had a strong sense of connection to the land and to bush and to that simplicity of living, you know, collecting tadpoles and building cubby houses and riding through, you know, forests and stuff on on our bikes, uh, me and my brothers and Um, It was just a really beautiful childhood. And then uh, when I went into finance, you know, I was quite a deep thinker and I had a strong faith when I went into finance. I think I just got really sort of led astray and went down a, a, a path that was a long way away from that wholesomeness and that connection to spirit. And I just got caught up in drugs and money, really. That was just the world that I morphed into. It was a very, like, flashing lights, just pulling my attention, you like, you, you know, in Phoenix, you know, I don't know how far you are from Vegas, but that's the same concept. Oh, yeah. Metaphorically, flashing lights to pull your attention. The whole reason Vegas is lit up like that is to get you excited. The tingles, the, the bells, the whistles of those machines and those big, you know, gambling floors is to distract us from truth. And I got very distracted and the beautiful thing with the universe and you can call it God, nature, intelligence, divine law, whatever, is it has this capacity to always encourage and and urge us and somehow try to realign us. And that does that through discomfort, through pain, through suffering. And for me, a lot of pain and suffering started to ensue the further I got away from my path of this spiritual alignment and, You know in the end it just got so painful that i I almost got rendered choiceless which was choiceless in that i either just end my life here and now which is something that i was kind of contemplating or else i make a significant shift and the universe sent really interesting signals at just the right time for me to find my way i was watching tv and there was a story about a big property developer again i was caught up in the story of him being successful and the big properties that he was developing. But there was a tiny little section in that story that talked about him meditating and how he used meditation for his success. And this was 1996. And meditation, no one had heard about it. You know, it was not like, I didn't know anyone that meditated. There was no calm or headspace or anything like that. And it was like this light bulb moment. It was just like, wow. Okay. That's I got to look into this. That looks really important. And that was the starting point for me in my darkest night to have that message come through and to start meditating.
0: So what did it gradual, or you know, gradually, you know, evolve over time or was it like all right, you get your first big deal, your first big paycheck, you know, starting out and things are just like, oh obviously you're confident now but was it, you know, time evolving your, you started straying away from your path or was it instantly when you started seeing that success again, as a 19 year old kid, like you're probably on cloud nine, there's really nothing you can lose at that point.
1: Yeah. It was a good 10 years of being deep down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I was, I was 10 years into, I, I didn't have that sort of shift. I started at 19 as a broker the same year Jordan Belfort started his career mm-hmm. 1987. Um, It was crazy times in the markets back then, you know, 1987, late 80s, early 90s. It was kind of reckless abandon, the wild west of finance and stock trading. And uh, I was just swept into that world for a good 10 years. It wasn't until 29 that things started to really melt down. And just to add to that, you know, Dr. Deepak Chopra, who's a very recognised physician, 70, 80 books published, He said in one of his books, I think it was Quantum Healing, that when we have a symptom, it could be anything from anxiety, ADHD, depression, bipolar, that symptom is the fifth and final stage of there being an imbalance. And to get that final physiological awareness about the problem, it could take many, many years. And that's what happened to me. You know, it started at 19 and the crazy stuff started when I was like a young punk straight off the streets, you know, like, 19, you just go, wow, this is amazing, deer in the headlights, just, this is incredible. Um, And then you're doing this thing year after year after year, and slowly that those imbalances start to show up, and it takes a while before it really starts to manifest.
0: Wow, so it, again, to that point, to add to that, you know, there's times in life where you know you're down in the hole you're in the rabbit hole and you're thinking like all right i gotta get myself out of this and then you know you have two three good days and then something bad happens and then you just like naturally go back into the hole without even realizing it so like how many times did you kind of have to go through that before you had your big why and we're like okay i gotta change something here or else it's gonna be detrimental and like you said it could even end my life
1: yeah you know it's uh I was the things got pretty bad, you know, for quite a while, uh, sort of my mid twenties to late twenties, you know, I've been doing a lot of drugs, a lot of partying, a lot of drinking for quite a while at that point. And the work itself was pretty manic. Um, and I, I got a lot of cues, you know, friends, some friends suggested maybe I should try some things, you know, and I, I'd go to like, I even started doing things like yoga and acupuncture, but it just, that wasn't really kind of cutting it. But yeah, as you say, it was like, um, I'd make a tiny little change and slip back. Yep. I'd go and have a holiday and things might get a little bit better and then slip back. Um, the culture, the lifestyle, the, the social habits was hard to break free of. It wasn't until I hit rock bottom at 29 and then, and then I, at the same time simultaneously learning to meditate that things really made a shift. And then from there, um, you know, it's not like I became an enlightened monk, certainly by no means, but certainly made some big changes very quickly that were coming through my awareness shifting through the meditation and my ability to see things differently as a result of the meditation.
0: So how long did it take you to learn this personally? Because I'm sure you get a lot of people saying, you know, like, okay, I'll have three or four good days here and there, maybe a couple of weeks, you know, doing what what you're teaching them to do. And then, you know, their car breaks down or someone in the family gets sick, you know, like something bad happens and then they just think of everything else that has bad happened and it all formulates in their mind and then they're just back to square one. So how long did it take you personally to kind of learn all that and kind of, again, do the research to figure out how to overcome some of this stuff? Because I feel like it's a daily learning process.
1: Yeah, we're always learning. We're always growing. There's no question about it. Uh, And someone asked the other day when I was speaking at a company, a large conference, and they asked, um, you know, will I become a better meditator the longer I do it? I said, it's not that you become a better meditator. You know, once you learn the technique, I learned the technique over four consecutive days, Tuesday through to Friday. That's the way it's taught. It's transcendental meditation. And so I learned on the Tuesday, the next session was Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And pretty much by then, you're completely skilled and in the art of learning to transcend in meditation. And that's what I teach my students as well. I teach mine over the weekend and so by Sunday, they've kind of fully equipped in how to meditate. I do support them with weekly group meditations, so anyone that learns with me can come and join my group meditations every week. So it's not that you you um, become a better meditator. Once you learn to meditate, you know how to meditate. Right. It's just that you become more stabilized in that stillness of being that you're experiencing in the meditation outside of meditation. So when the car breaks down, when, you know, um, the weather turns sour at your picnic when you have a disagreement with your, one of your children, you become more and more stabilised over time, less and less affected by life, and able to, you're able to consciously be present without being emotionally entrenched in the situation. And this is the great liberating benefit of meditation is that we can be in, and I said this last night at a talk I was presenting to a large group of builders. I said there's no stressful situations in life. There's situations, just objective black and white situations. Right. And things will go wrong all through your life. Things won't meet your expectation. You know, my dad just went in hospital yesterday. He's he's not well. And so these, these things that surprise us as an unmet expectation, what happens over time is that you're able to, observe the situation and be less emotionally charged by it. Now it doesn't mean you will never be emotionally charged, it's just that sometimes you'll have greater autonomy, greater freedom, greater sovereignty through life to be more mindful and more watchful of the experience rather than be entangled in the experience and reactive to the experience.
0: Do you think that comes with age or do you think that just comes from someone figuring it out? Because like I again, like I know some people who to this day, my age, even older, that don't even see that, but then I also have, you know, a ten-year-old cousin that could see that as clear as day. You know, like oh, something that happens, just you gotta let it go. You know, it, it happens. Yeah. Move from here.
1: Yeah, the daily meditation practice. So what, what the practice I I teach, I recommend to meditate twice a day. And what meditation does is that the portal it, it gives you access to that conscious awareness, that that silence within, to just simply be observing rather than the egoic emotional person that's watching the experience. So the ego likes to get tangled up in the story and the drama and the and the the energetic sort of scenario, whereas consciousness itself is just watching it. And so the more we meditate, the more we have access to that silent witness. It's called Sakshi Kutashta, the silent witness that just watches. And it's always there. It's just like the blue sky, which is always there, regardless of what clouds are in front of it. And we tend to identify with the clouds, which is our emotional and mental body, uh, and we're ignoring this beautiful silent witness, which is just always there behind the emotions and the thoughts of our existence. And so um, it's not with age, it's with with d- degrees of conscious awareness.
0: So you said that meditation, like once you learned it, you got it, like you know how to do it. Is it kind of like, I don't want to compare it to like working out, but like, you know, kind of like a muscle memory thing, like if things aren't going your way and you've been doing it for a long time can you switch things up different techniques different styles different ways of thinking
1: yeah definitely you can do that you can always add to it so you know there's degrees of evolution in your meditation practice as well so my students have been with me for quite some time and we've evolved their meditation practice but it's a really good analogy you use so if you go to the gym and someone teaches you a routine right so you're going to do an arm you know bicep tricep shoulder routine right and they teach you that routine. It's not like you get better or worse at that routine. Once you know the routine, you know the routine. So you can go to the gym on your own. You can do that routine on your own. And it's not a matter of whether that routine is going to get better. It's whether your muscles and the application of that routine and the regularity of you doing that routine develops the muscles better. Yeah,
0: I mean, I was very interested to hear your take on that because it's like if you're working out at the gym and you're doing the same thing for a long time, like you're going to get better. But if you're doing it for like, Two years straight. Eventually, your muscles are just going to be used to it, and they're not going to grow from it. So gotcha, that's ha- Yeah. What What are like the specific different techniques you can do to meditate to kind of calm your nerves, whether it is anxiety or whether it is you know just calming yourself down in frustrating moments?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good good thing because we want to discriminate the difference between two. One is a regular meditation. You just do it morning. You do it evening, and you're doing it. Um, regardless of what state you're in. You just put your time aside and you do it. But then there's circumstances that will arise in life and it's not meditation time. You know, you're doing your meditation at 6 in the morning and now it's 11 o'clock at morning and you just had a big fight with your boss. So, or or you've got an exam that you're nervous about or something. So what can we do in those moments? It's kind of like, it's almost like, you know, the first responders get on scene, you know, and this is like a dire situation. So um, the thing that I find is the most effective is the thing that will disturb us the most if we don't get on top of it, and that's our breath. So in those challenging moments, our breath will run away from us and it will basically take over. It's going to hijack your system. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be short. It's going to be up here in the chest. It's going to be shallow. And that's going to trigger your whole body to go into this sympathetic nervous system state. That's the stress response. So, the most effective thing we can do in, in this moment, and your body won't want to do this because your body wants to go into panic mode here. It's interpreting this situation as a life and death situation, and your whole body's hijacking you. Now, we have to hijack it back from that and go, okay, I'm taking over here. I'm taking over of the breath, and we're going to go deep. Almost like you feel your belly button going out like a barrel, almost. Manually extending the belly button out so the breath can go all the way down to the lower um, regions of the lungs and then out. And just regulate that breath and put all your attention on the breath. Put all your attention on the breath. And what happens is two things. One is physiologically you're calming your nervous system just through regulating the breath. And secondly, what you're doing is you're bringing your attention away from the thing that was activating the, the stress response, which was out there, and you bring it in here to this present moment of just breath. Now, when you're focusing on the breath, there's, there's no stress and everything just will melt away. And you'll disentangle yourself from that response that's happening in, in the situation. And you'll see this time and time in movies, you know, when soldiers are about to go to war or something, let's just like, calm your breath, calm your breath you know, it's just to soothe the situation down and not get too overwhelmed with it, letting the body get sort of hijacked.
0: What was one personal experience that you had where it was kind of like, okay, like I, like you said, it was kind of, you know, a mix maybe of ego or just anxiety that was having you kind of just like overwhelmed in a situation and you told yourself to calm down? Because I feel like at a certain point in life, you start to become fearless In things that were fearful to you, you know, in the first part of your life, you know, like, for example, you know, just doing things that you wouldn't typically do just because you were afraid of what other people would think or you were afraid that like it was just a big risk that threw you over in your career and your job, you know, you working as a broker, you probably had a ton of those situations when it came to gaining a lot of revenue and losing a lot of revenue. Um, but what was the you know big thing in your life that you know you had to overcome? And then finally said like you know what you only live once. I'm gonna be fearless in this moment. I'm just gonna go
1: for it. Hmm. Gosh, what a big question. <laughs> I guess it's kind of too far because you you asked initially about you know when was a time when I kind of used that sort of method to calm things down and I, a few times came to my mind and I'll, I'll share those. And I'm just trying to recalibrate and think about when I kind of just really leaped into. I think the big one where, I'll answer the second part first. The big one was when I decided to leave finance. You know, I had a very stable career. I've got a family of four, you know, two children. We had a big mortgage. And uh, I was going from a very stable, very well-paid job into teaching meditation. So that was not a very lucrative uh, career path. Right. And even though I'd been meditating a long time, there was a lot of trepidation around that. A lot of concern and fear and worry because there was just this massive unknown i remember i I was very unhappy in the job but i was making a lot of money and that's why i stayed in it for so long but i remember tim ferris once saying that we will choose unhappiness over uncertainty and that's what i've been doing for a long time when i saw that quote i'm like hell that's me i'm choosing unhappiness over uncertainty because i don't know what's outside of this job right and i think i kind of have a bit of an idea but it's not a clear path and so I, I just, you know, took deep breaths and I just said, I'm going to trust the universe that this will work out somehow. It might not be, you know, me living in a $4 million house anymore, but I trust the fate, the process that this will work out. And um, that was a big leap of faith that I just, it, I, it did get supported, you know, in some more ways than than one. And so that that was a great, example but when it comes down to very specific moments there's a, a couple moments one was when I was playing indoor soccer with a bunch of mates and uh, two of us went up to head a ball and and we collided heads and my whole head split open mm. blood just was pouring out everywhere and uh I remember this incredible freeze frame of life where just everything just stopped and everyone was mortified because it's just literally just blood just poured it was like a vein you know we got a vein here right on the And it just completely cut that open and uh, blood just went everywhere. And the first thing I did was I sat down, I closed my eyes and I just meditated. I just went into the breath and I just knew I had to regulate my body. The last thing I want my body to do is just panic. Mm -hmm. And the the guys just kind of stood around and they didn't know what to do because I just went, I just sat down, I closed my eyes and and I regulated everything. And then the manager of the place we were playing came and they put ice and everything and I went to the Hospital and they stitched it all up, but for weeks afterwards, they said they'd never seen anything like it. To, to just com- take composure in that moment, and the other moment was when uh, I was actually walking along the footpath, and an old lady went across the road, and she got hit by a car. She went up on the bonnet, rolled off the bonnet, went onto the ground, and uh, she was like seventy years old, and uh, of course she was in extreme panic. Now she was okay. Physically, but psychologically, she was a, a, a wreck. And so I just sat with her. I got her to look right in my eyes. And I said, You look at my eyes and you slow your breath. You calm your whole body down. You're okay. Your body's fine. You just slow everything down. You breathe with me. In, out. And she just completely locked in with me. And we just stayed together. And everyone was standing around us until, you know, the ambulance came. And she was just literally got up and went into the ambulance, she was fine. And so time and time again, I've had many, many situations like that where one was in a lift where a woman got, we both got stuck in a lift. The lift froze for like an hour. And she was really starting to melt down. And I got her to just switch into the breath in that moment. And this is kind of like first responder type stuff, but using the breath.
0: I mean, that, that's a hard thing to do in those moments. Like I saw the totally. post you put out today, you know, that's like finding stability in an unstable world. Like, for example, like, the past three days, I don't know why. I was just, you know, in a great mood. Things were, you know, going smoothly. And then yesterday, a a tire popped, you know. I brought up the example of a car breaking down earlier. Like, that's what happened to me two nights ago, you know. And it's frustrating. Like, in the moment, you're like, come on, really? Why is this happening to me? And, you know, other thoughts start piling into your brain, like, past things. Like, oh, I stubbed my toe on Tuesday. Or this happened to me back, you know, two weeks ago. And then, like, you're just, you get yourself in a bad mood. Like, you got to... You gotta, you know, compose yourself, and again, like what you're saying, just relax in the moment, self meditate, get everything together because it happened, and now you have to move forward, and you know, your next move is gonna determine whether or not your day gets better or gets worse.
1: Yeah. Look, I hear what you're saying about the tire and stubbing toe, and it's. It, I used to be a woe is me type person as well. You know, if, if things went wrong, because I, I was such a perfectionist and I really strove so hard to have life right. And I, I think you're a bit like that too. You're, you know, oh, yeah. you're very efficient and very much a perfectionist. Now the problem with perfectionists is that we seek perfection in places that it doesn't exist. And that's what makes us unhappy because perfection in the relative field, that's the world outside of us. It's, it's the one thing I've learned to understand is the inconsistent in the instability of life, like just shit happens all the time. And when we resign to that and we almost expect that it's like, uh, there's another video I did not long ago on my social on Instagram and it was about a, a guy who was talking to me, his house burnt down in the um, Ohio fires. And uh, we were chatting on a call and he said, you know what, Tom, I, I kind of got to this point in my life where I almost giggle at the universe. and said, come on, is this all you got? Come on. What else can you throw at me? Like, this is hilarious. I'm, I'm open to any, any unmet expectations and I kind of almost will have a chuckle with you along the way with it. And it's just such a beautiful way of looking at life.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Like, Again, like if you have enough faith in God for what's going to happen later on in your life, like everything's going to work out. You know, every puzzle piece is going to fit eventually, whether it happens quickly or whether it happens years down the road.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, imagine if we could go through life knowing that everything would be fine. (laughs) We would live very different lives, right? Right. A lot less
0: stress. But at the same time, it's, you know, the stress and everything that comes with it that makes it all worthwhile, I feel like, in the end.
1: It it helps us grow. It helps us learn. There's no question about it. You know, it's, it's these challenging times, uh, the opportunities for growth. It's the time when we do most growth. If we're open to growth, that's the thing. If we're not open to growth and we're resisting that. And we're just throwing pots and pans because the world's not working out for us. Then we will just suffer more. That's all.
0: Did you have like, like an end all be all moment for you? Like early on when, again, you're going through all of this stuff as a broker, you're having as much success as you're having which is a great thing but at the same time you're kind of in a toxic environment doing some pretty toxic things and you finally had that breaking point like do you remember that exact moment where you're like this is where it has to stop and this is what i have to do moving forward
1: i'd had quite a lot of them i I can't remember one specific day it was like a gradual a gradual eating away um there was many times when i'm like i just i don't know if i can stand another day of this but not knowing that i think my biggest challenge was that i just was so unprepared to do anything else i had no idea what else i would do i had no qualifications i was uneducated as far as you know no tertiary degrees um and i just felt a great sense of loss about not knowing where to go with things
0: now was that just you know buying into the culture that was around it because like you said like mentioning Jordan Belford like perfect example of a guy that I think everybody knows most notably known for being the wolf of Wall Street doing all of that crazy stuff and it was just the culture right like was it more of like okay I'm attracted to this or like this is what I have to do in order to get what I really want out of this position
1: yeah I mean for a lot of us there is a part of us that is attracted to it anyway you know it's just that we don't come across it very often but you know when someone you know, I had no interest in that before I even walked into that industry. I was going to do a journalist degree to write articles for Time magazine, trying to fight against capitalistic greed of all things. Ah. You know, I just come back from backpacking around Europe, listening to the Smiths and reading French existential books like Jean Paul Sartre and um, Albert Camus. You know, I was I was like very left wing politically minded uh, when I was. You know. In my teens, I was listening to and the Banshees and the Smiths and Theatre of Hate, and I was like a, a, a sort of punk emo type thing. There was anti-establishment, and I just had to fill in some time before I went to uni. And so when I landed these jobs, and the the money was just huge, you know, and so there's a part of us, I think, that we all have that. It's that polarity within us: the shade, shadows, the light and the dark. That, um, and it's not that it's an evil industry. It's just that it, 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 it accentuated and highlighted parts of me that I might not have known were there and I guess in some respects it was good for me to discover that they were there and that I wasn't who I thought I was
0: so did you have you know you know close confidants and family members kind of like see this and like going down a path that they weren't necessarily like okay this is kind of dangerous like he's very you know successful he's doing great by the family but at the same time like did anybody kind of, again, like you mentioned earlier, like you had a few people kind of like tell you, like, you should try this or you should try that. But was there any, you know, specific big person in your life that kind of changed things for you?
1: Not really. No, I was with my partner who I'm still with today, 30 years. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was very good at masking things. I was very good at presenting a particular facade that uh, I wanted the world to see, you know, very together. Person, I remember when um, I had the the meltdown. It was like a nervous breakdown one morning, and my wife, who was my partner at the time, we uh, we we went. She took me to the doctor, and uh, I remember him explaining what was going on. And it was a real shock to both of us. Like I'd I'd been getting these panic attacks, but I didn't know what they were, and I didn't know what depression was. But I obviously was suffering with it. I had no idea I was suffering from it. But the doctor actually said, literally, I was having a nervous breakdown. And both of us, we, we both started boiling our eyes out. Uh, I remember sitting there in his clinic still to this day, the light coming in and everything, and, and both of us just crying. We we're both, were both very surprised. We had no idea that that's what it had come to and that's how bad things were. I just, we were just young kids partying and drinking and dr- taking drugs and having fun. You know, We didn't think that there was anything wrong with it. It was just because everyone was doing it. Hey, it was the 80s and 90s. Like, what else do you do in your 20s?
0: wow i mean that's it it takes a special person to be like okay like this is the lowest of lows in your life right at least from mental standpoint and to kind of get through that and and help you through that and everything and now you as a father you probably feel the same way like no matter what happens you know you, you probably wouldn't want them for that in their future like if you know your son or daughter wanted to go into brokerage or go into finance in that regard like you you. What would be your advice for them? You know, growing up, I don't right. necessarily would go into that.
1: Well, it's interesting. I've got a 19-year-old son. I've got twins. They're both 19. Oh, uh, yeah. My daughter's doing a science degree exam this morning, actually. Um, my son's working, um, and he he's very interested in being a broker. And I, I mentioned to him. Wow. You know all of the look the industry's changed there's no question about it things have come a long way thank goodness and things have changed dramatically and it's a lot more of a stable career path now and a, and a very good one you know and so he's quite charmed by it he's, he's looking at doing an internship there uh at my company pretty soon actually so um it's not like i'm talking him out of it i'm letting him know of all of the pros and cons about that pathway um, it's not, a, like I said, it's not a bad industry and it's not a bad career. It's just, I made bad choices while I was in it. And uh, it was a bit of the norm back then, but not everyone was doing what I was doing either. So um, yeah, you know, I, as a father, I, I bring a lot of experience to, through my life experiences to being a father, you know, and I, I can share with them a lot of my trials and tribulations and a lot of the things that I'd recommend not to do. But again, One thing I always let my kids know is that the law of cause and effect is their choices, you know, and every decision they make has a corresponding reaction. I really empower them to make their own decisions. I I never say to them, don't do drugs, don't do drinking. I say, look, this is what I'd prefer. But, again, law of cause and effect, you see how you feel after you start going down that path. You make those decisions. It's up to you. You do your research and hopefully... You can make a decision before you even have to go and do that research and you don't have to have those karmic effects and so it's a it's a great way of empowering children teenagers even young adults to think wisely about the decisions they're making before they make them
0: yeah i really think it takes like your own experience through good things and bad things to really determine whether or not you like them or not you know like you could say don't do drugs don't do that it's like okay, like you're going to do them and you're going to feel the way you feel. And if you don't like it, then, you know, like yeah, that's how you learn, yeah. like riding a yeah. bike when you're a kid, you're not going to wear a helmet. All right. When you fall, don't come crying to me.
1: You know, like yeah.
0: now you, now you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and look, you know, my kids, bless them, have made some pretty good decisions. You know, they, they, they're, uh, they've been exposed to a lot of things already, you know, at 19 and wisely, they've made some pretty smart decisions uh, along the way, which has been a, a bit of a blessing. But I think a lot of that is because we empower them with that opportunity to make those choices. And, of course, I know that they've tried and tested some of these things and they probably didn't have that good experience because they said they don't want to do it. So that's great.
0: And it's great, you know, to have a father in that sense that has gone through, like your son, like you said, wants to, you know, at least pursue the idea of a career in you know, brokerage and in finance, you know, and at the same time you had those experiences, you reached the pinnacle, you, know, like you had a ton of success, you also saw the downfall, and you also knew how to uh, rehabilitate yourself kind of you know, through meditation, doing what you do now. Like you found an alternate route of success that helped you through those dark times. Uh, and I do want to get into the Stillness Project and how you started that because it's grown into, you know, you know, certain events that you guys do, connecting people with others that kind of, you know, feel the same um, kind of, you know, trap in, in the sense of dealing with anxiety or dealing with dark times. Uh, when you first started it, you know, did you expect it to grow into what it is now, you know, seven, eight years later?
1: Yeah, It's interesting. I actually uh, came out of finance with all guns blazing and a bit of money behind me. So I brought on some very top marketing teams and strategists um i didn't just sort of wing it you know uh it was very much thought out and uh even when we came up with the tagline the stillness project to inspire a billion people to meditate daily um you know i was like oh why don't we say a million a million's a lot of people and they're like no like you know you could get to a million in five years you know what what happens then you know you need to have a lifelong vision for this and so when we set it at a billion, all of that stuff was thought out. And and so there was some degree of intentionality behind it. You know, I, I, when I, and I'm just naturally a big thinker. And so when I came across this and I realized that no one in the world was doing it or very, like a handful of people were doing it, I just couldn't believe it. And so I knew how effective it was. I knew how powerful it was. I knew it could help people in a massive way not only was it changing my life and my friends that were doing it, but uh, when I started teaching it, it was really impacting a lot of people. And so that's when we sort of really strategically thought out, how do we make this a global movement? And, you know, I kind of egoically look at Calm and Headspace and think, damn it, those guys kind of got the gun on me on that one. But, you know, cause we were looking at online programs and the film and stuff, but, we, you know, they went straight into the app version, you know, that kind of superseded what we were doing. And they really jumped into that world head head first. And I was um, very impressed and uh, with much gratitude for their work because, you know, they're doing really what I was uh, hoping to do as well, which is, and it's, we're all in this together. So I'm really blessed to see the great work that these guys are doing to make meditation mainstream and, and access it, make it accessible to everyone. So you got
0: a great vision. You obviously had a great team from the get-go using the resources that you had. How difficult or easy was it for you to kind of build, you know, a platform when it came to social media and e-commerce and all this stuff that gets it out to the world, you know, 10 times faster than it would have 25 years ago?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely helped. It definitely helped having some money behind it. Um, At the same time, I spent a lot of money on things I shouldn't have spent money on. A lot of people I spent money on that didn't um, really step up to the level that they'd promised. You know, the the world of consulting and marketing, there's a lot of and PR, there's a lot of promises and not a lot of, you know, um, responsibility. You can have a PR team say, we're going to get you XYZ Um, And when they don't get X, Y, Z after you've paid them, there's no like refund. (laughs) Oh, we thought we were going to get that, but damn it. uh, It's a shame. Anyway, see you later. (laughs) So uh, I learned a lot of lessons along the way. Some I didn't learn very well, but, um, and I went and repeated them, but I think it definitely helps having some money behind and some team to strategize it. But I think these days um, it's a different world, even from, eight years ago when I started this, nine years ago when I started this, you know, I only left finance in 2012. So nine years later, we're here and, you know, we've got a film, six books, an app, uh, online programs, running retreats, like you say, a lot of corporate stuff. But I've hustled pretty hard, you know, I've written hundreds of blogs, hundreds of guest articles, I've been on hundreds of podcasts, um, been on TV. And so I, 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 I spent a lot of time and energy to you know, to, to get to that degree of awareness. And it's uh, it's, it's it, it takes time and it takes a lot of commitment to keep going.
0: What, you know, you mentioned it there, kind of piqued my interest. What was the most ridiculous thing that you ever spent money on or spent like a ridiculous amount of money on?
1: I think it's PR, you know, uh, you know, you, you could take, and this is, you know, all due respect to all the PR agents. If anyone's listening right now to, to your work and what you're doing, um, you know, these days things are very different. Uh, you know, you look at somewhere like Headspace and Calm, you know, they they put so much money into paid ads. And if I'd taken that money on PR and put into paid ad strategy where you specifically target audiences, um PR it's it's hard to quantify, you know. It's hard to know whether that's having any impact. Whereas paid ads you can quantify, you know, you can get your EPCs and all sorts of things and you know, um, PPCs and so uh, that would have been a better strategy over the long haul to, to have gone more into that avenue, I think.
0: So how many years um, into this did the film come into play? Like, just the idea, first off. Does, it
1: was you know, pretty up at the beginning, yeah. The film was one of the early things. It was part of the the very early strategy was to make a film was we inspired by The Secret, and The Secret became a global phenomenon. Uh, it was a $300 million success, the book and the film, and we really were motivated by that sort of success, not because financially that was certainly was one, I won't, I won't you know, kid you, that was definitely a financial incentive, but the ability for them to penetrate the masses with a very esoteric subject, the law of attraction, mm-hmm. what you think you can attract. It was very new to the world. And so I, I very much felt that that's what I wanted to achieve with meditation, to penetrate. This was before Headspace and Karma, remember. So meditation had not seeped into the masses at that point. And we thought we'd make a film and write a book that would do that and then give them the, the actual technique in an online program that would back up that level of inspiration. And so that was very much early stages. We saw the film and the book as part of the PR strategy to get awareness about the program. However, um, yeah, it just took much longer. The film was supposed to come out in 2014, 2015, Uh, we had a lot of challenges made a lot of mistakes and that's been a i would have to be very frank it's been quite a brutal journey uh and uh (laughs) taught me many lessons and it's only just come out now
0: you gotta give a lot of credit to some of these directors producers and screenwriters that have made it you know at the top of the game in the film industry because it takes years upon years as opposed to thinking like okay i got a script let's let's start shooting now Like you got to realize the thing, you got to all the pieces of the puzzle have to come together and that could take upwards to a decade long.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So many films take up to 10 years. You know, when you think about it, you've got to, you know, just start with your your development and then your funding and then your pre production, your production, your post-production distribution, release strategies, marketing, follow-up. It's just, it's an, a gargantuan process that, you know, even for a meditation teacher, it's tested my patience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a ton of fulfillment too, you know, making the movie finish and obviously sending the message that you wanted to send, like the vision that you had going in versus the, the, the product that came out. Was there a specific scene in the film that you looked at and said like, that's, that's our, our masterpiece, you know, scene right there. That's the one that you were most proud of.
1: There's a a couple of scenes that still, even just as I thought of it, just then I got little goosebumps. Um, There's a a number of scenes that the director and the editors put together with such finesse and such beauty. Um, One was Buddha, we call it the the diner scene, where Buddha's in the diner and he's having his PTSD episode so beautifully shot and retold. Um, There's a beautiful scene uh, of Heather where she runs through the tunnel towards this light, which is really her reclaiming her power and, and moving towards a new experience in life, a new awakening, which is really beautiful. We found that tunnel in San Francisco. It was like all day we'd been looking for this tunnel that took us a long time to find. It was an old sort of mining tunnel. And we found that just as the sun was setting, it was really beautiful. Um, so there's a couple there. And then there's this, um, I won't tell you about this one, but it's a beautiful scene where we reveal someone in the movie um, it's called, I wouldn't tell you his name, but it's, it's a special reveal where we reveal this person that's been sort of hidden for a while other than just his voice. And when we reveal him, it's, uh, it's a very special moment in the film.
0: Wow. I mean, it's got to be so, again, fulfilling from that standpoint for you to go through that and at the same time having people that are following you, being a part of, you know, your culture, see that and look back and think, like, wow, Tom, like, this is very, not only helpful, but inspiring for me because I went through X, Y, and Z. Like The, the last thing I want to ask you, I do not to take too much of your time, but I want to ask you, you know, through all, again, the books, the film, the retreats, the live events that, you know, you probably have a ton of people that reach out to you and kind of share their story as to what, you know, inspired them to reach out to you or to be a part of that culture that you provided for them. Is there one specific or multiple, I guess, Uh, Stories that stick out to you, um, you know, individually based that were like, oh, my God, like, that touched me, that gave me goosebumps, and that really hit home uh, because this is why I do this, you know. This is why I was inspired to create this vision and this culture for people to come to me and and share these stories.
1: Yeah, I I do. You're right. I get thousands of people, you know, share their stories and send me messages. Um, There was one moment, I was actually on retreat, and retreats is probably where I see the biggest change in someone in such a short period of time. Uh, it's a very powerful process. So we've got a retreat coming up, a one-day retreat. We do one-day, four-day, six-day retreats around the world. Well, they were around the world outside COVID. Um, and this one was just recently. And he's a big, tough builder guy, and um, you know, really solid guy. And day two or day day two of the retreat, he said, I there's something I'm I'm holding back. I know I'm holding back, but I'm I'm too afraid to sort of let this go and something's coming out, but I don't know what it is, and I don't know what to do about it. I said, just keep doing the program and we'll see what happens. And then the next day on day three, in the sharing circle, he just he just he just broke down and he shared his story of how as a child, the abuse he went through and how difficult his childhood was, how he was beaten and dumped and left on sides of roads and stuff. And, and he turned into being a very aggressive, angry man that was uh, not a very healthy person and not a very easy person to live in society. He was just a very brutal person. And um, here he was, just all of that facade just cracking and poorly just dropping away you know and then underneath that was just this beautiful the whole room was just boiling their eyes out you know as he shared his whole story for like half an hour and how he just didn't want to be that person anymore and that veneer of who he'd become because of the molding of his life experiences was just dropping away and what reveals underneath all of all that tough exterior is this it's like those kinder chocolate eggs you know there's a little prize inside you know and there's this with inside of him was this beautiful heart that's just kind and loving and gentle. And that's who he's become now. That whole tough exterior has melted away. It's really beautiful.
0: I mean, this is the, kind of the stuff that fires me up to talk about. Cause again, like what we've been talking about the past hour or so, you know, everybody has their own stuff. Everybody's got their own shit that they're dealing with. And for someone like that to come out and kind of break down and share that with you, like that's gotta be very I don't, it's kind of overwhelming I feel like again you went through it I didn't but it, it's got to be overwhelming to think like okay like this is uh this was our goal in a sense for you know people to kind of be comfortable in their own skin to share these stories but at the same time like in that moment probably thinking like okay like what can I say that's going to make them feel better
1: Isn't that yeah it's spot? yeah look I understand being a having facilitated retreats for 10 years now I, one thing I, I really uh appreciate and understand is just to I don't have to make him feel better the process is already doing that he's already working that out so I I remain silent most of the time during those situations and allow the space to open up to let them freely express the natural tendency for humans is to try to make them feel better because they don't feel comfortable with that watching that experience for me I feel very comfortable watching that experience because I know how important that experience is there's a tendency for us to pat them on the shoulder try to stop them doing it but my role as a facilitator is allow that process to run its course. And when it's completely silent in the room, when it's completely finished sharing, and I might I might sit there with three, four, five minutes silence. And people are just breathing and crying. Wow. And then if nothing comes, they go, Okay, now it's time for me to talk. Right. And at that point I'll just share gratitude and just highlight what we've witnessed here and the beauty of this magical unfolding. But the work's already been done. I don't have to do any work.
0: Wow. I mean, it's amazing to see, again, the the eight-year journey, you know, after your career in, in doing what you did for so many years to come back and, you know, completely flip it over. Total 180. Do Have a vision for this. Grow it to where it's grown today and seeing all of these people inspired. You actually, again, having the experience to know how to interact and how to, you know, you know, judge a certain type of feeling, type of vibe in a room to really to get people to, again, buy into what you're doing and to really have that unique and connected culture to come together. It's inspiring, man. It's awesome. It's giving me goosebumps right now. <laughs> and I, I love talking about this stuff. I won't take, again, too much of your time. I, I'm very gracious that uh, you took the time to come on the show today. I'm glad we were finally able to get this done and uh, I wish you the best of luck, man, because, again, you're killing it. And uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what you got going on in the future.
1: <laughs> thanks so much. It's great to be here. And thanks for listening, everyone. I really appreciate your time here today.